I was just a little kid in the late 50s. My parents built, had actually had built, a bomb shelter in our basement. I remember those days. You're old, you're old. You know, there was a fear of the war with the Soviet Union, and that thing sat in that basement, and probably still in that basement, and has never been used. But the shelters that we're talking about down near the Gaza Strip and up by, the, uh, by, by Lebanon, uh, they are used. They are used, and, and as Rabbi said, uh, they save lives. They're, it's real. So thank you, Rabbi. We're, we're glad to have a part in that. And uh, the Israel trip, um, we have never had so much response as, as we have had uh, for, for this trip. Uh, we're 60-plus percent full um, within a week of announcing it. And I know some of you are thinking, I want to go. We actually have a cutoff number. So we're not going to let the, the, the trip get too big so that uh, it's hard to handle. So if you're thinking about coming to Israel with us next late February, first part of March, please stop by the booth in the back, talk to them, uh, pray, make up your mind because we want you to come. All right, we want you to come. It is really a life-changing thing. And we were just talking uh, earlier today about one of the things that we're going to do that's different than any other trip that we've ever done. And there's a couple different things. But one of the things, we're going to go to Gilgal, which means nothing to you. But when the children of Israel came across the Jordan River, they came across at Gilgal. And this is the place where all of the people that had been born, the men that had been born in the wilderness were circumcised. And not that you're going to be interested in it, but Rabbi said, they said, the Bible says they made flint knives. He said, they're laying all over on the ground. He said, you can pick, go and pick one up. And this is the place where when the, t- the two and a half tribes went back across, they built an altar as a memorial. Now, this is 3,500 years ago. And he says, you can still see the altar standing there. 3,500 years. We, he said, nobody goes there. He said, but we're going. We're going. So it's going to be great. It'll just, just some other new stuff, and, and we're really excited about it. Romans 10, verse 17, I want to talk to you about faith for a few moments. I really want you to open up your heart today. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now that little phrase, word of God, in the Greek is just one word, it's the word rhema. Now in the, in the New Testament, which was written in Koine Greek, there's two different words that are translated word of God. One is logos, and it refers to the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and I mean everything. All the Bible is the logos. But the rhema is the word that you receive revelation about. In other, how many of you have ever had this? You're, you're reading your Bible, and it may be something you've read like 50 times before. And all of a sudden, you're like, ha! Who put that in there? I mean, just something just jumps off that page, and it becomes alive on the inside of you. All right? That's the rhema. That's the rhema. And that's when faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema of God. And, and I like to say this, faith comes by hearing and hearing. It's not what you heard one time. Somebody said, well, I heard that sermon before. Well, it's going to do you just as much good the next time. 
Because it doesn't come by having heard. It comes by hearing. Now, now, I, I love tenderloins. Anybody with me? All right. I had one last week. I'm going to have one again this week. Just because I had it last time doesn't mean I don't want it again. And, and really what the Bible is, is it is faith food. It is food for your faith. Your faith will not grow without the word of God. In fact, Peter said, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Your faith grows spiritually. You grow spiritually through the word of God. And we can even say it this way. There's never an increase in faith without an increase in revelation. It's when you get something revealed to you new, something that's revealed at a deeper level that causes your faith to grow. So we need the word of God. My, my, my wife, Jeannie, is, has family in Kansas, near Fort Scott, Kansas. And in that particular area, they used to do a lot of coal mining. And they did what back then what they called strip mines. And they would go in and they would take that coal out of the ground and they would leave a pit. It might be a quarter mile long and two, three hundred yards across. And all those pits filled with water. And they all filled with bass and big catfish. So we're down visiting and there's, a, there's this big pit about, it's not even a mile from, from Jeannie's sister's house. So I grab my fishing pole and I go down, I'm sitting on that bank and I'm fishing and, and, and a guy comes over, just a few minutes, I'm there. A guy comes over and kind of plops down next to me and I start talking to him about the Lord and about the Bible. And, and he says, well, this, this is my Bible. He says, the outdoors. He said, this is how I, I know about God. Now, we should listen. Romans chapter one says, you can know there is a God by nature. Uh, in fact, uh, how can you even look at the human eye or, or human reproduction and DNA and not realize there is a God, but you can't know him through nature. You can know he is, but you cannot get to know him through nature. That's why God gave us a revelation of himself in his word. In 2 Timothy 3, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Uh, that, that's kind of old English. So, so I've got the Message Bible. I like what it says. It says every part of scripture is God-breathed. It is useful in one way or another, showing us truth. Now, how many know we live in a society that does not even believe there is truth? But the Bible is going to show you what truth is. Exposes our rebellion, corrects our mistakes. In other words, literally what happens is when you read the Bible, you're getting read. The Bible's reading you. It's correcting you. It's exposing things. It's showing, in fact, it says, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. So we need revelation from the word. Now, as Jesus is talking to his disciples about faith in Mark chapter 11, he said, have faith in God. 
have faith in God, not in a person, but in God. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author or the beginner and the finisher of your faith. So who are we supposed to look to? Jesus. Who are we supposed to have faith in? God. Now, I tell you that to say this. What often happens is people get their confidence in their faith and they're looking not at God, but they're looking at people. Now, someone told me just uh, in the last two weeks, a few weeks ago, we kind of had a panel up here and we were talking about marriage. Uh, This guy sent a link to that to a friend who hadn't been in church for 35 years. Something happened in church. They got mad. They left. He saw that link. God touched his heart. He sent the link to his daughter. I don't think it ever been in church. God used that to touch their life. But here's, here's what I want you to see. Because of something that happened, they get mad at God or disappointed in people. I mean, no, people can disappoint you. That's why I always say have dead heroes. Because dead people can't make any mistakes, right? But, but I don't care who you're talking about, whether it's Billy Graham or Joyce Myers, or if it's a Jimmy or a Mark or a John or, or a Paul, whoever it is, or a Dwayne, we all have stinky feet. Any person can mess up. Right? You can be disappointed if you look at people. Now, years ago, we were, we were still over on 44th Street in that pole barn, that green pole barn. And uh, there was a couple that would always sit over in this section over here, about eight, nine rows back, a man, his wife, and two daughters. Girls were probably 15, 17 years old, something like that. And uh, I noticed that for several weeks, they weren't there. Now, you think I don't know if you show up? I know where you sit. I know right where you sit. You sit the same place every week. And, and so I, after several weeks, I said to my, my, one, of, one of the guys on staff, I said, you, you know, I said, you've known them for years and you live over by them. I said, why don't you stop by and find out what happened? Now, this was in the early, early mid-80s. And uh, this was when an evangelist by the name of Jimmy had a moral failure. And this is what he, the, the man said to the pastor I sent over. He said, uh, I, I used to watch him on television all the time. He said, and if he can't live for God, nobody can live for God. He says, and I will never go to church again a day in my life. Over 30 years have passed. And he has stayed true to his word. Because any person can blow it. But Jesus will never blow it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I love what one translation says, look how he went through all of his problems. All the things that he went through. And this is study it. Study it. If you, if you will look to Jesus, you will come through. Right? Now, I, I, I want to talk about one of the, the instances where Jesus talks about faith in Matthew chapter 17. In the 14th verse, he says, he has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he had come down to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down and saying to him, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic. And suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless 
and perverse generation. How long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, just say to the mountain, be removed from here to there and it'll move and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. First, when the man brings his son to Jesus, Jesus says, O faithless and perverse generation. Faithless and perverse. Now, when Jesus said faithless, what he's saying is this. He's saying, you are not connected enough to God. See, where faith comes is it comes from revelation from God. He's saying, you're not connected enough to God. But when he said perverse generation, what he's saying is you're too connected to this world. You're too connected to the world. In Psalms 119, verse 125, it says, my soul clings to the dust. How many of you know the stuff of this world, it gets in your mind and it clings. You're trying to get rid of it and it's trying to pull, it's pulling on you, constantly pulling on your soul. And in a, it's your soul that gets you in trouble. The dust, the junk of this world, it clings to your soul. So what you've got to do is you've got to get that junk off your soul. Get it off your soul. So David said, give me life according to your word. Here's how I'd, I'd, I'd kind of like to explain it. When God created Adam and Eve, God created them in three parts. First Thessalonians 5.23 says you are spirit, soul, and body. Now, your spirit is the part of you that contacts the spiritual world. Your soul is the part of you that contacts the mental world. And your body is the part of you that contacts the physical world. Now, Jesus said in John 4, God is a spirit. Now, the Bible says you're a spirit and it says God's a spirit. Now, you're not God. You never will be. All right. Don't, don't make any mistakes. But you're the same type of a being. In the book of Psalms and Hebrews, it says that God makes his angels spirits. Angels are spirits. So does an angel retire when he's 300,000 years old? No, because angels don't get old. In fact, as a young Christian, I thought I could help God. Has anybody ever thought, God, you're really lucky to have me. I've got an idea for you. I thought, God, you should just kill the devil. Just kill him. Invite all the demons at the funeral. Kill them. We can just... Start the kingdom in the morning. But here's the problem. The devil is a fallen angel and angels can't die. That's why the Bible says God has reserved them in everlasting chains of darkness. But they can't die. And you're a spirit, so you can't die. Your body will wear out and it will die. I'm 65. When I was 16, I could run 10 miles and not even know it. Not so anymore. You say, what's happening? The outward man perishes. The outward man gets old. Now, here's the crazy thing. I'm 65, but I still think I'm 16 inside. 
You know, and everybody that's old know that. Young people look at them and think, you're old. Yo, no, 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 my body's old. I'm not old. My body is, but I'm not. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed every day. Every day. So God creates Adam and Eve, and the spirit is supposed to dominate the soul, the mind, and the body. But when Adam and Eve sin, it's like they did this flip and the body and the soul begin to dominate the spirit. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about carnal Christians. It literally means a Christian whose body dominates their life instead of your spirit dominating your life. Your body says, let's have a Coke. You go have one. Your body says, let's do this. You do it. Your body says, I want that. And you give it to it. You just, your body runs your life. And when that happens, your spirit just gets weaker and weaker. And it's in this place where it's being dominated. Now, notice Jesus, when he's talking about faith, he said, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So let me just talk to you just a second about the fasting. Now, that is not quick food. Fasting is like no food or a period of time where it's just certain food. Daniel, the Bible says, for 21 days, it says he ate no meat, no pleasant bread, no sugar, and drank only water. Just ate vegetables and lagoons for 21 days. It's sometimes referred to as a Daniel fast. But what happens when you're fasting is you're saying no to your body. Now, every morning that I'm in Grand Rapids, I go for a latte. A wonderful latte. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, 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 that's one. We have another picture of one of those lattes I, I get every morning. Now, it's got to have an art. It's got to have a little maple syrup in it, you know. I mean, oh, they are so good. In fact, I get up and my body's going, latte. It's like, got to have it. Got to have it. But you know what? When I'm fasting, you know what I say to my body? I say, no. You know what my body does? It says, shut up. It's like, we are going. And I'm like, no. And it says, yes. And I say, no. You know what's going? You know what's happening? The spirit and the flesh are having a little fight. And you know what my body says when I say we're not going to have a latte and we're not going to have breakfast either? You know what it says? It says, you will die. (laughs) By noon, you will be dead. And my spirit says to my flesh, shut up. Because we're going to read the Bible and we're going to pray and no latte. (laughs) And here, listen, it's a little thing, but you know what happens? Your spirit just starts to rise up. It takes some dominion over your body, over your mind. And what happens is you start to hear God better. Now, God hasn't moved and he's not speaking to you because you're punishing yourself. But you're hearing what he's been saying all along because your spirit is beginning to rise up. And again, there's no increase in faith without an increase in revelation. And that revelation comes when you hear God. Faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing and hearing by. So, again, just because you had a steak last week doesn't mean you don't want one the next. And because you've heard something before, 
it's still spiritual food for your inner man. The greatest thing that you can do is to pass your faith to others, and especially your children. In Timothy, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and, and he, said, he said, the faith that's in you was first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. So right there, you see three generations, and that faith is passed on. And I don't know if you realize this, but in Malachi, the second chapter, it says the purpose of marriage is to produce godly seed. Not just to have kids, but to pass your faith to those children. And what, what we see happen so often is parents, they just want to be the best parents they can possibly be. But unfortunately, what we so often do is we're using the world's standard on what makes the best parent. And we're there, well, the best parent is the one. All the kids want to go to their house. All the kids want to be at their house. And your kids are involved in everything. They're doing hockey and they're doing football and they're doing baseball and they're in the, they're in the choir and, and they're, they're in the band and they're doing this and they're doing that. And you've got your kids doing all sorts of things. And on Sunday morning, you're at the hockey game. You're at the football game. You know, 15 years ago, you drive to church and you go by that, you go by that park and there was nobody there. But that's not the same anymore. You go by there today, it's loaded. It's loaded. And we think what makes us the best parent is having our kids involved in everything. But what Jesus said is still as true today as it ever was when he says, there's only one thing that's needful. See, from a kingdom perspective, the best parents are the parents that have their kids in church. They're the parents, listen, that live the Word of God. Where Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's seeking first the kingdom. But it's, it's not making sure your kids are involved in all the activities. It's making sure they're involved in the right activities. Because when you're skipping church to go to sports, you're telling them sports are more important than the kingdom of God. Your, ki your kids don't need to be involved in everything. When you say youth sports are more important than church, than the kingdom, than faith, I'll tell you what will happen. The faith value will be lost. It will be lost. Uh, Jeannie said this a few years ago when we were talking about this. She says, the compromises we make as parents today will be your children's norms. Your compromises will be their norms. Now, as you look at your Bible, all through the New Testament, it talks about faith. In fact, there is an entire chapter that's dedicated to the subject of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And when God takes so much time to emphasize something, it's because he wants to get a point across to us. Now, in that chapter, of course, as, as the Bible was originally written, no paragraphs, periods, no chapters. And so not just Hebrews 11, but I want to back up just a little bit, and I want to talk about faith in the remaining few minutes. Hebrews 10.32, but recall the former days in which after you were illumined, you endured a great struggle with suffering. So here's what it's saying. It's saying being a Christian 
does not mean you're going to go without conflict and that you're just going to sail through life on a flowery bed of ease. The Bible says there will be a great struggle and suffering. Got that? So you say, well, why am I going through this? Because you're supposed to. You're supposed to. You're going to deal with stuff. There's going to be business stuff and family stuff and money stuff and kids stuff and marriage stuff and stuff from the past and physical stuff and rejection. Faith does not mean your life will be easy. Faith means you will go through a time of struggle and suffering. Now, some people, they're just going to look down on your faith. It says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulation, and partly while you became companion to those who were so treated. It's saying there's not going to be a whole lot of people going to cheer you on, giving you a high five. They're going to look down on you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to ridicule you. In Hebrews, it mentions reproaches and tribulations and persecutions. There are going to be people in your family, they are going to think that you are the, fa in your family tree, you are the nut. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to like, you're crazy. You believe that? You're not going, you're not, you're not accepting this? No, because we've got a Bible. And a Bible is our standard. 2 Timothy 4.14. Paul writes, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. He was hindering what Paul was trying to do. It's going on in our culture today. I know it's not politically correct to even mention something, but I'm going to do it anyhow. At the, at the 2015 Women in the World Summit, Hillary Clinton declared deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, structural biases have to be changed. Religious beliefs have to be changed. Listen, this is Jesus' church. And nobody has a right to change it. Nobody has a right to change it. Yeah. Now, no, notice that it said here, in becoming companions of those who were so treated, you need to have at least four faith crazy friends. You need some crazy faith people that you get around. People that are going to encourage you and not people going to tell you you're crazy. And by the way, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group where you've got some people of like mind that are going to help you. Faith will get you through the hard times. They withstood ridicule, persecution, torment. The Bible says their goods were plundered and taken by the government because they were believers. Now, what they were doing was this. They were looking beyond today. The Bible says, looking not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. The Bible says this about Moses. It says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin because he restrained the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to his reward. He's part of the royal family. Anything that money, influence could buy, he could have it. But the Bible says he chose rather to suffer with the people of God. Why? Because he looked to his reward. The Bible tells us, I think this is so great. It says, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
Now, anybody that told you that sin's no fun, they just did it wrong. They just didn't know what they were doing. Because the Bible said, the, the, the Bible, how I many do you believe in the Bible? It talks about the pleasure of sin. It says, but it's passing. It is short-lived. Moses could have had anything the world had to offer, but he looked to his reward. He had an eternal perspective. And what faith will do is faith will give you an eternal perspective. Not what's good today, but what's good for eternity. Not what makes me feel good, but what's right. What's right? What's wrong? So that's what faith will do. Now, let me just let me just close with this one last thought about faith. And we'll, we'll pick up here in a couple of weeks. Faith is a journey. And faith is not a moment in time. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. You, you can look at a person of faith at, at one moment and look at, look at it and say, it's bad. But faith is not a moment. Faith is a journey. It's a journey. Shortly, Jeannie and I are going to be celebrating 43 years of marriage. And I just... And I, I have told her so many times, and I've said it again recently. I said, honey, this faith journey, faith journey that we're doing together, I said, it's awesome. It's amazing. Wouldn't want to do it without you. But it's not a moment. You look at Job. There was a time in Job's life. The Bible says that he lost everything. All his camels, all his donkeys, all his oxen. And then he's sick. He's got boils all over his body. He's sitting there scraping himself with broken pottery. He said, nobody even wants to get close to me. He said, I stink. I've got bad breath. His wife said, curse God and die. I mean, that's a bad day. It's a bad day. But about nine months later, the Bible says God turned the captivity of Job. And God gave him twice as many camels, twice as many oxen, twice as many uh, donkeys. But he didn't give him twice as many kids, interestingly. Because, listen, listen, because when someone dies in the Lord, you didn't lose them. They just changed location. You're going to get them again. You're going to see them again. So God gave him the exact same number and he ended up with double. He ended up with double. So here's what the Bible says about this. It says, we call them blessed that endure. And you've heard about the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, how the Lord was full of pity and merciful. Your faith journey is not a picture at any one moment because faith, it's a journey. It's a life. And it's not just the life that you have now but it is eternal life. When life is tough, God's bigger. God's bigger. And when life's tough and you hold on to your faith, God will see you through. The Bible says you may fall seven times. It says, but God picks you up. It says the righteous, they rise again, right? Do not cast off your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Would you bow your heads for just a moment?
you're here, but you're away from God. You're not living right. You're not doing right. You may have at one time lived for the Lord, but you have drifted away. You've cast off your confidence and you need to come home to God today. Or maybe you've never, never surrendered your life. God loves you, but God has something he wants to give you. And that's forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. He came to pay for your sin. And he offers you forgiveness. In Psalms 99, it says he was to them the God who forgives. And that's who God wants to be to you. He wants to be the God who forgives. But you need to receive the forgiveness that he has for you. And you may think you've gone too far, done too much. But there is no life so dark, valley so low, sin so shocking, sex so perverted, relationship so appalling, pit so deep, that God will not reach down and pick you up and forgive you and make you new. And if you're here today and you say, I want to receive the forgiveness that God offers me, and I want to surrender my life today to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment when I say three. We're going to pray and God's going to meet you right here in this place and you're going to leave forgiven right with God. And as you lift your hand, you're saying to God today, I'm coming because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying to God, today I'm surrendering to Jesus. I'm giving him all of my heart and all of my life and I'm holding nothing back. Two, I already see hands. I already see him. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside. I'm going to be forgiven, part of his kingdom, on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Include me, Pastor. I'm not right. Up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless 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 you. Somebody else over here to my left. Thank you. God bless you. Others? Thank you. God bless you, young man. Right there, sitting next to his father. All right. I'm going to ask everybody, please take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together with those who just lifted their hands. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins, and I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm your child, a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome.